0: it was an interesting process for Gina and I to uh, explore um, how this retreat would unfold, Um, partially because, it, again, it's longer than um, our communities have in practice, Um, so it gives us a little bit more opportunity. Um, But because there was a certain threshold of experience, um we knew that we weren't speaking to people who were completely new to the practice and so it didn't it didn't feel as appropriate to start for example to start the retreats with the classic you know introduction to mindfulness or what are we doing we we kind of know what we're doing here and um and so it really um uh, invited this inquiry between us. So, what would what would serve? What would serve the um, uh, the individuals coming to create this this retreat? And <clears throat> that inquiry, I think, became the theme of how we're going to open this retreat is through inquiry itself, through the the practice of investigation. And, and as I hope that I'll just, you know, I'm going to um, uh, maybe say a few things that hope, I hope will set the foundation for the retreat, but um, that we really encourage and invite you to um, bring what you're exploring in your spiritual practice to the retreat so that we can explore it together, so that we can... Um, create the topics that that uh, we address either in the small groups or even in the large group um, so we we'll, uh, we have a way of doing that that I'll explain at the end of the, at, at the end of this evening but um, so that we're really co-creating this and and that we're um, exploring the things that are most relevant in your practice right now and that's how we feel, you know, in terms of the title of manifesting spiritual aspiration, we felt that that would be the best way to to encourage that, that spiritual aspiration. And so, you know, investigation is such an important piece in, in, the, in the practice. Because um, if we were absolutely content where we are, we wouldn 't need retreats we wouldn 't need to explore we wouldn 't need to investigate right so if our aspiration is higher than our current place of contentment, investigation is actually a key component in in um, in progress in sort of um, uh, allowing the path to unfold further and so investigation is one of the factors of awakening it's it's actually the umbrella factor of um, awakening is mindfulness mindfulness shows up in multiple times in these multiple lists that you don't necessarily have to remember but um, the second factor of awakening is investigation or sometimes it's, it's translated as curiosity and curiosity, you know, can seem a little mundane or, or, or um, um, maybe even elementary for for kids who are curious. But in actuality, it's 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 um, a very important aspect of mindfulness because it's really hard to focus and place one's mindfulness on something that we're bored with when we don't have that interest, when we don't have that spark. And so curiosity and that that place of investigation really helps us concentrate the mindfulness on the object, on the experience. One of the um, the aspects of mindfulness that that we may know and it's it's always an ongoing process to explore again investigate is that being mindful is different than thinking you know our mindfulness is different than our intellectual process, and yet they can feel so close it's it's a very subtle exploration of experience. So when we're mindful of an object, we're not necessarily trying to understand it. We're not trying to uh, actually understand it in an informational way. We're trying to understand it in an experiential way. And how we explore that you know, we can we can the, the the Buddha himself taught different methods in terms of a finger pointing to the moon, and so anybody who sits in this seat will also do the same. But actually, it's it's how do you explore the difference between how you intellectually understand something and how do you directly experience it. So this investigation is a piece of that that inclining inclining your experience to directly to the direct experience as opposed to the experience of of, of thought. Sometimes this aspect of investigation um, can have two flavors. it can have that flavor of curiosity um, but it also on the flip side can can have a tinge of doubt you know like um, uh, even even the inflection of a question will will reveal the intention so if if I um, meet you in a space I can say why are you here you know that 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 really wanting to know or I can say why are you here (laughs) and you can hear the doubt in that just that subtle inflection and this is how you know how do we ask the questions internally how do we? Uh, is it is it with that open curiosity that's that's um, receptive, or is it with that uh, um, secondary agenda of of tearing something down as opposed to building something up? I, um, the other reason that I love this area of the country is I used to be a park ranger in former life, and I used to be in the Southwest. And one of the challenges of working for the Park Service is no matter who shows up as a tourist or as a, you know, uh, even they, if they've never, you know, you, you bring people on a Nature Walk, they don't even know each other, and they're all playing the same game, which is stump the ranger. They're all <laughs> all the questions are trying to come up with a question that the ranger can't answer. And it's so interesting, you know, that they have different reasons for doing that, you know. <coughs> they want to feel smarter than or whatever it is. But that's the that's the questioning that actually tears things down as opposed to build things up. You know, that's oppositional rather than um, the opposite. So how do we live into these questions that actually are um, guideposts for our spiritual practice? They are the leading edge. They're not obstacles that we can often interpret the questions. They're actually the leading edge of our, our our practice. Even the places that we aren't that interested in, can we be curious about what that's about? You know, we're really actually good at living um, the uh, the positive aspects, the highs, and also the negative aspects of our life, the lows. You know, we can... We are engaged whether, you know, sometimes we don't want to be engaged when we're angry or depressed or, or irritated. But we are engaged. Where we lose our connection is in this whole band of experience that is neither high nor low, that is sort of neutral, and we are not interested in it. We don't even ask the question because we just completely take it for granted that that's the life we're not interested in living. In a, one of the retreats this year, um, as we were going through the schedule on the retreat, uh, the person said in a, in a meeting that, that uh, they were bored out of their mind. And so, as we were beginning to talk about it, you know, what that experience of boredom was, they began to say, "Oh well it's like this, you know it feels really dull it, um, my my you know when I'm sitting uh, I, I begin to fall asleep and and he actually began to be interested in the disinterest and when he came out of the meeting, he said, well, I guess I'm bored into my mind now, as opposed <laughs> to out of it. And really, it's the in-body experience that we're looking for, because we can feel almost every experience in the body. Andy Warhol, um, so I was trained as an artist, so I have all these art quotes that that, that follow me. But uh, he's the guy that, you know, you remember painted Jackie Onassis, you know, in in a grid and the Campbell soup cans, the repetition of the same object over and over and over again. And uh, he says, I've been quoted a lot saying I like boring things, but that doesn't mean that I'm bored by them. Because the more you look at, at the same exact thing, the more the meaning goes away, and the better and emptier you feel." I thought that was a really interesting passage. The more that we look at the exact same thing, whether it's the breath or the body, the meaning of it goes away. The conceptual understanding of it goes away. And we get connected with the direct experience of, possibly how precious the breath is or what uh, the body is doing in this moment. The investigation gives us this feedback loop of of um, what are we learning from our mindfulness. It, our mindfulness includes this aspect of clear comprehension which is just the sense doors recognizing what things are without any interpretation. And then there's the choice point that mindfulness and awareness gives us. What will actually lead to freedom? That's the feedback loop that investigation supports us. So sometimes the question, especially for people who have been in practice for a good amount of time have done retreats. Is what's next? What do I do next? And really, the the response that that I ask myself when I get into that place is, well, what are what am I interested in? What am I curious about? Because that's the door that will be most open to me. The um, commentaries and. Um, some of you know that the commentaries are these. Um, well, they're commentaries, but they're they're, um, uh, they're they're how the original stories that the teaching stories have been interpreted through different cultures over time. So, there are different teachers have um, uh, absorbed the teachings in in their cultural milieu and. The commentaries speak of additional ways in which um, investigation is a particularly important factor of awakening um, and, and how to support that, that arising of investigation. The very first one, which I thought was interesting, is, is, that, um, is to ask questions about the Dharma and to practice this with spiritual friends, which sounds like a, a no-brainer. But um, often, we don't ask, we ask the questions from a teacher, perhaps, but we don't ask, ask it from, from a community of practitioners. We don't actually often do that collectively. And it's one of the reasons why, you know, in, in our tradition, we've developed these, these groups that, um, that meet that that are smaller than the that the group, so that the larger group, so that these, um, so that in a way we can awaken together. We can learn from each other where we, each of us are, that um, how the teachings are landing on each of us is different, and yet how you're navigating it can teach all of us. Another support to investigation is what they call a balanced mind. And what's interesting is, is that when they talk about a balanced mind, they're talking about energy, really. Um, uh, and both the seven factors of awakening and the five spiritual faculties, they're a little bit different and a little bit of the same. But they—the the main... Um, metaphor for both of these lists is the faculties that are energizing versus the fac- faculties that are calming. And that if we focus too much on one or, or the other, it, there's no balance to it. So for example, um, uh, the, the balance of the spiritual faculties are the pair of faith and wisdom. So faith is an energy of the heart. And if we have only faith, we can be a little deluded. We can be easily convinced. We can be easily um, uh, um, overpowered by whether it's the charisma or the, the brilliance of, of the experience of faith. And that's balanced by wisdom. But sometimes when there is only wisdom, uh, as, you, as you know that when there's just truth, it can really be painful. And how do, you, how do you hold that truth with compassion and kindness? The second pair around the spiritual faculties is energy versus concentration. Sometimes this is called effort. But um, uh, if, we're, if we strive too much, if we are so focused and, and um, uh, sort of white-knuckling our way through this practice, the mind gets agitated and it actually can't concentrate that well. And when we 're only concentrated when we when we just focus in, for example, if we just sit we can we can create this dullness without the sh- acuity, the sharpness that energy brings, so this balance between um, uh, Effort and concentration, faith and wisdom can only be actually managed with mindfulness, which is the fifth faculty, the umbrella faculty. (coughs) So, when these things are, when we're aware of these things, the balance between faith and wisdom, the balance between effort and concentration. It supports our ability to ask questions, to, to investigate in a balanced way that is not about the doubt, it's not about the oppositional, it's not about uh, why, why am I here, why is this happening. This investigation is is really an invitation into practice. It's not an invitation into the answer. So, um, The way this might look is, so what is this breath? Let go of the answer. Is it cool, harsh, smooth? Let go of the answer. What is the sensation of itch? Let go of the answer. What is this experience of anger? Let go of the answer. Who am I? Let go of the answer. Who am I really? Let go of the answer. The inquiry is just the inquiry. But so often we pair the inquiry with the need for the answer. And that's when... That's when our um, intellect can, can take over. And that's where it's subtle. What is this life that I am living? Let go of the answer. We really like answers. And sometimes we have the answers, but no questions. <laughs> Isn't that true? We have the answers, and and the questions haven't even appeared yet. What's that about? So really, see if it's possible to just hold the questions as sort of the um, the North Star. And, you know, this affects our... Our, our our development, not our relation, our development in our spiritual practice. Because I don't know whether you've gone through this phase, but I consider it a phase that um, um, whoever is sitting in the seat, whoever I might call teacher, you know, I have this, I have this attitude of just, just show me the way, just give me the answers, and I'll do it. I'll just do whatever you say. <laughs> as long as it gets me somewhere. And and really, um, no one is going to get you anywhere. Because it's all fingers pointing to the moon. Whatever we're teaching, to some extent works for us. We don't know if it's going to work for you. Only you are going to know that. Ajahn Phuong says, um, he's a teacher in Thailand, that he passed away about in the 1960s. Um, but he wrote this passage that always has stuck in my mind. For insights to arise, you have to use your own strategies. You can't use other people's strategies and, to get, and expect to get the same results they did. Because I am not them, and they are not me. So this is the grand experiment. And this is why... Investigation is so important to each of our practices. So when you ask the questions and you don't have the answers, what happens? What what is that state of mind called? I don't know. Any suggestions? When you don't have the answers, when you only have the questions, what's that state, what's that experience called? Curiosity. Curiosity. Frustration and confusion. Maybe uncertainty. And can we be with the curiosity? and the frustration and the uncertainty without needing to do anything. You know, again, what is this life? Let go of the answer. When you let go of the answer, where are you? It is. It can feel like a tense, frustrating place. But how many questions in our life don't have simple, easy answers. You know, the one that that struck me, so, and it was poli- it, it, it it was a really hard place for me to sit. It was after Ferguson, and it was, you know, um, the, the question was asked, I don't mean, I'm not even sure where it was asked, but it was asked many times in many places, Um, what, what are we going to do so that this never happens again? And really, do we know? Do we really know for certain? This is painful. This is extremely painful not to know. Can we navigate that pain in order to get to the other side? And collectively, because no one person is going to be able to solve that magnitude. So this is where, even incrementally, this practice will help us with the most overwhelming issues. We think actually that certainty will bring us the solution or the happiness. But really, my my own sense of my own need to be certain at times is really about controlling my anxiety and my pain. (coughs) And can can I float in that, that anxiety? That it's okay not to be in control. That I don't know is an honorable answer. And so let's just back off of the Ferguson question, which is so huge. But even in the, in the personal transitions that are so difficult, whether we're looking for a job or a relationship or accommodations or whether we're going through other transitions that are uncharted territory whether it's an illness or whether we've lost someone that we've you know that we don't know who we are when we've lost that person this is unknown territory there are no answers <coughs> at least in this moment And and there is that reality that the more that we live what we know, the narrower our life is. That bandwidth of what we know (coughs) is limited. But if we're able to stretch that bandwidth and allow that uncertainty to be more at ease there are so many more possibilities available to us my own personal experience around this uncertainty um, (coughs) um, comes from working with the communities that I work in right now and um, it's so frustrating (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, um, and yet, also curious because. So I, I began my, my involvement with Spirit Rock. Gloria knows in, in at the first POC retreat in 1999, and and um, and I could see because they had been an organization for al- already 20 years, the mistakes and. And the unconsciousness of how that organization grew up, and it's so um, it's so difficult to retrofit diversity into an existing organization. It's you know it's <laughs> like you are you are carving out the round peg into a square hole in order to you know, and it's it's not impossible, but it's very painful and time-consuming. So, we had this opportunity to create East Bay Meditation Center. You know, in downtown Oakland, diverse, um, di- not only diverse audience, but also diverse support. And, um, and we did learn, you know, we, um, uh, we did all those things that we felt, Spirit Rock, Either didn't see or failed at. And what do you know? We have our own problems, you know And they may not be the same problems, but um, you know, the, uh, the unexpected impact of the internalized racism that still is not addressed fully in our practice, and um, the... um, there's just so many different organizational pieces that we couldn't predict would come up. So, you know, I was involved in in that board for, I don't know, seven years, for a while, and I'm still involved, but not on the board, you know, so directly, and um, And I love that organization, just like I love Spirit Rock. But a couple of years ago, there was this invitation to start a community in Southern California, inside Community of the Desert, which I'm also a part of. And I said, third time's a charm. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I learned from both, you know, an existing organization and a new organization, we're not going to make the same mistakes. (laughs) <laughs> you know <laughs> damn it is, it is really hard, you know, and I thought you know okay we're gonna go we're gonna we're going to um uh, build it build diversity in from the very uh, from from ground zero we're gonna have you know Communication agreements we're going to have a balance between teachers and governance uh, because that's a huge issue in Dharma organizations um, that the teachers don't have too much power but you know the lay governance needs some kind of dharmic direction otherwise they're just a regular nonprofit and that doesn't feel right either and and um, and I am learning over and over again how I cannot control, we cannot control the outcome, regardless of our intentions. Because this is what life is. Life is absolutely unique. You know, and the... And the rules and the and the uh, formulas that we think you know like diversity should be this way or organizational development should look this way, it sounds really good, and it um, it is a really useful guide as long as we don 't attach to the outcome because we don 't know what that unfolding is going to look like until we live it until we experience it and then understand. Oh, so we overlooked this at the uh, IMS retreat, um, POC retreat just this year. Um, I have a really close friend. My, his friend, uh, his name is Amos, and he actually, we're, we're bonded in many ways. Um, he's he's um, Chinese-American. He, he brought me to my first 12-step meeting 28 years ago. Um, And I brought him into the Dharma, and he's been practicing for like, I don't know, eight, ten years now. And um, he said, there was this brilliant sunset over the front door of IMS, and uh, he said, I just noticed the sunset for the first time. I know that you've been telling me this for years, (laughs) but I actually had to experience it. And... It was this ineffable, you know, I, I I get a hit of what he was saying. Because we hear the teachings over and over again, and we actually have to come to that non-conceptual experience of what the teachings are in order for insight to come, in order for the faith to be Um, reinforced over and over again it's not the intellectual understanding, it's the direct experience, it's the direct experience of the complexity of community that, that, that even though we want community to be joyful all the time that's not what life is and can we be free in the midst of both the joys and the sorrows. So just to say that's how we would like this retreat to unfold a little bit, you know, in terms of in terms of it being co-created by this this energy that all of us are bringing. And that we are offering many of the traditional teachings, the Four Foundations, but in a way that, that uh, we were investigating. So we're going to be saying the same things over and over again. That's what all retreats are. It's the same practice over and over again. And how do we inspire that interest? How do we um, seed that curiosity? So some of that comes from, you know unpacking the first foundation a little bit more than we normally do. And um, uh, I, I think that we'll try to unpack some of the other foundations and teachings in the same way, but also to really get an idea of the questions that are you're holding, not necessarily the ones that you're answering, but the ones that you're holding. And so, um, you know, there's, uh, Kathy, uh, arranged to have pencil and paper out there and and there's a bowl here, so you know during the next course of the next couple of days, if there's something that that you're that you feel that interest, that curiosity that's alive in your practice, you know please write it down so that we'll try to incorporate that into you know the uh, the evening sessions as we go along um, And it will make it interesting for us, too. um, You know this quote um, from Rilke. (coughs) It's about questions and answers more about the questions, to have patience with everything unresolved in your heart and to try to love the questions themselves as if they were locked rooms or books written in a very foreign language. Don't search for the answers which could not be given to you now because you would not be able to live them. The point is to live everything. Live the questions now perhaps then someday into the future you will gradually, without even noticing it, live your way into the answer. So beyond that, um, so beyond that, um, let's see, you know, to offer the group anything that you're, you're exploring. Um, tomorrow, you know, we've gone through a lot of the, um, the posture practice, um, the scan practice. I would like to uh, do the last component of the, f- of the first foundation which is called Marana Sati. And Marana means, uh, literally it means death. It means um, uh, the passing away process, and um, so it 's a contemplation there are nine actual contemplations in the traditional scriptures that are not actually culturally um, uh, we 're not able to manifest them culturally in this in this time and place because we don 't have a open, charnel ground in which we can watch the decomposition of you know, someone's corpse. Um, But um, there is a contemplation that that um, uh, in the in the uh, LGBT community when we were when we were um, struggling against the the issues of HIV and AIDS, um, a lot of the volunteer Um, community groups Um, we had to train ourselves in in order to be um, peer support because the, the larger culture wasn't doing that and part of our training was to familiarize and accept and meet the dying process and so this visualization, this contemplative piece, comes from that that tradition, that lineage. and so um, I, I say that to offer you options, because it you know wise timing is so important in terms of when these teachings land on on each of us, and if you feel that you've experienced a recent loss or that there's something that it might. Touch uh, too deeply you know I really invite you to take care of yourself and to you know do a walking period or to um, sit in your room or or do another practice um, and if it does feel like an appropriate time um, I hope that the entrance into a piece of life that this particular Western culture hardly ever looks at is entered, you know, gently, and and that um, that we that we reflect on. You know, if something arises, if our life arises, it necessarily passes away. That is the that is the nature of the three characteristics. So how do we turn towards that truth in a gentle kind way? So that will be the 8:15 sitting and um So we have a little bit of time. I don't know if I haven't the one thing that I haven't allowed actually or not allowed but we haven't had space for is is just any questions about practice, any, anything that, that has been offered until now that you might have specific questions about. So, mm-hmm. you know, we could use that time. Um, this may not be appropriate, but in Santa Fe, we have beautiful trails. Mm-hmm. And um, near where I live, we have like miles and miles of trails, mm-hmm. And uh, benches are, are set so that you can see the sunsets that are mm. absolutely awesome. Mm. And around this bench, we had seen teenagers coming around, and people were worried that they're smoking or whatever. And I so was, I'm walking my dog. Um, Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.